0: Chapter 58 of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 58 The Industrial Revolution There is a tendency in many histories to confuse together what we have here called the mechanical revolution, which was an entirely new thing in human experience, arising out of the development of organized science, a new step. Like the invention of agriculture or the discovery of metals, was something else quite different in its origins, something for which there was already on historical precedent the social and financial development which is called the Industrial Revolution. The two processes were going on together, they were constantly reacting upon each other, but they were in root and essence different. There would have been an industrial revolution of sorts, if there had been no coal, no steam, no machinery, but in that case it would probably have followed far more closely upon the lines of the social and financial developments of the later years of the Roman Republic. It would have repeated the story of dispossessed free cultivators, gang labor, great estates, great financial fortunes, and a socially destructive financial process even the factory method came before power and machinery factories were the product not of machinery but of the division of labor drilled and sweated workers were making such things as millinery cardboard boxes and furniture and coloring maps and book illustrations and so forth before even water wheels had been used for industrial purposes There were factories in Rome in the days of Augustus. New books, for instance, were dictated to rows of copyists in the factories of the booksellers. The attentive student of Defoe and of the political pamphlets of fielding will realize that the idea of herding poor people into establishments to work collectively for their living was already current in Britain before the close of the seventeenth century. There are intimations of it even as early as Moore's Utopia, 1516. It was a social and not a mechanical development. Up to past the middle of the 18th century, the social and economic history of Western Europe was in fact retreading the path along which the Roman state had gone in the last three centuries BC. But the political disunions of Europe The political convulsions against monarchy, the recalcitrance of the common folk, and perhaps also the greater accessibility of the Western European intelligence to mechanical ideas and inventions, turned the process into quite novel directions. Ideas of human solidarity, thanks to Christianity, were far more widely diffused in the newer European world political power was not so concentrated and the man of energy anxious to get rich turned his mind therefore very willingly from the ideas of the slave and of gang labor to the idea of mechanical power and the machine the mechanical revolution the process of mechanical invention and discovery was a new thing in human experience and it went on regardless of the social political economic and industrial consequences it might produce. The Industrial Revolution, on the other hand, like most other human affairs, was and is more and more profoundly changed and deflected by the constant variation in human conditions caused by the mechanical revolution. And the essential difference between the amassing of riches, the extinction of small farmers and small businessmen and the phase of big finance in the latter centuries of the Roman Republic on the one hand, and the very similar concentration of capital in the 18th and 19th centuries on the other, lies in the profound difference in the character of labor that the mechanical revolution was bringing about. The power of the old world was human power. Everything depended ultimately upon the driving power of human muscle, the muscle of ignorant and subjugated men. A little animal muscle, supplied by draught oxen, horse traction and the like, contributed. When a weight had to be lifted, men lifted it. When a rock had to be quarried, men chipped it out. Where a field had to be ploughed, men and oxen ploughed it. The Roman equivalent of the steamship was the galley, with its bank of sweating rowers. A vast proportion of mankind, in the early civilizations were employed in purely mechanical drudgery at its onset power-driven machinery did not seem to promise any release from such unintelligent toil great gangs of men were employed in excavating canals in making railway cuttings and embankments and the like the number of miners increased enormously But the extension of facilities and the output of commodities increased much more. And as the nineteenth century went on, the plain logic of the new situation asserted itself more clearly. Human beings were no longer wanted as a source of mere indiscriminate power. What could be done mechanically by a human, being could be done faster and better by a machine. The human being was needed now only where choice and intelligence had to be exercised. Human beings were wanted only as human beings. The drudge on whom all the previous civilizations had rested, the creature of mere obedience, the man whose brains were superfluous, had become unnecessary to the welfare of mankind. This was as true of such ancient industries as agriculture and mining as it was of the newest metallurgical processes. For ploughing, sowing and harvesting, swift machines came forward to do the work of scores of men. The Roman civilization was built upon cheap and degraded human beings. Modern civilization is being rebuilt upon cheap mechanical power. For a hundred years power has been getting cheaper and labor dearer. If, for a generation or so, Machinery has had to wait its turn in the mine, it is simply because for a time men were cheaper than machinery. Now, here was a change over of quite primary importance in human affairs. The chief solicitude of the rich and of the ruler in the old civilization had been to keep up a supply of drudges. As the nineteenth century went on, it became more and more plain to the intelligent, directive people that the common man had now to be something better than a drudge. He had to be educated, if only to secure industrial efficiency. He had to understand what he was about. From the days of the first Christian propaganda, popular education had been smoldering in Europe, just as it had smoldered in Asia, wherever Islam had set its foot, because of the necessity of making the believer understand a little of the belief by which he is saved and of enabling him to read a little in the sacred books by which his belief is conveyed christian controversies with their competition for adherence ploughed the ground for the harvest of popular education in england for instance by the thirties and forties of the nineteenth century the disputes of the sects and the necessity of catching adherents young had produced a series of competing educational organizations for children, the church national schools, the dissenting British schools, and even Roman Catholic elementary schools. The second half of the nineteenth century was a period of rapid advance in popular education throughout all the westernized world. There was no parallel advance in the education of the upper classes. Some advance no doubt, but nothing to correspond, and so the great gulf that had divided that world hitherto into the readers and the non-reading mass became little more than a slightly perceptible difference in educational level. At the back of this process was the mechanical revolution, apparently regardless of social conditions, but really insisting inexorably upon the complete abolition of a totally illiterate class throughout the world. The economic revolution of the Roman Republic had never been clearly apprehended by the common people of Rome. The ordinary Roman citizen never saw the changes through which he lived, clearly and comprehensively as we see them. But the industrial revolution as it went on towards the end of the nineteenth century was more and more distinctly seen as one whole process by the common people it was affecting, because presently they could read and discuss and communicate, and because they went about and saw things as no commonalty had ever done before. End of chapter 58.